let me pray to open our time. Father, thank you for uh, our ministry uh, being here this weekend. We're so grateful for uh, all the sweet times so far of fellowship, of times in your word, uh, times singing, and uh, just times to remember your goodness to us and all the benefits we have in, uh, in what you've given us in Christ and the work of the Spirit in our lives. We're so thankful. Uh, Father, help this time to be fruitful, we ask, and uh, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're just going to start with a few questions, but we're going to then open it up. So it'll be open, open mic, and uh, Mr. Ethan Lane's going to run a mic around and, and have you guys uh, ask questions, okay? The one thing I would ask is for you guys to be, to be, to be quiet. Thank you. It's been a little tough so far, this discussion. Uh, thanks. <laughs> uh, Riley, what you got? Hey, welcome, by the way. Thank you. We're here. Like an apparition out of nowhere. Very spring retreaty vibes. Glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here too, man. We uh, we made the trek and pulled up to the mountain from a different mountain yeah. in NorCal, and uh, and now we're here. So I'm excited. It's good. Uh, I'm excited for for forget not all's benefits too. And I think uh, even just thinking about this theme for my own heart the last two weeks or so has been such a humbling thing and such like a joy bringing thing. So I love it. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess it, that'd be a good place to start, right? What's, uh, what's the heart from you for choosing this theme? Like what, what why, why, why forget not all his benefits for yeah. Spring Retreat 23? I think we kind of workshopped this one together, uh, especially me and you, but David, you've, got, you've had some part in it as well, obviously. Um, I think it comes from any, any theme really for our ministry, it comes from what we need. Like, we think about, first, what does our ministry need? What will be helpful for our ministry? Mm. I think one of the things that at the end of the year, sure, is helpful, but for young people to begin to understand is that the track record of God's faithfulness in their lives does not begin at the point of their salvation. It began before time began, but sort of more, I would say, Tangibly, it begins in uh, the record, the track record you see in Scripture. So, to be able to trace our spiritual heritage uh, to not just the Reformation, or not just uh, within the churches that you've gone to, or uh, whatever that might be, the early church, sort of like, hey, I love the New Testament, I love, you know, Ephesians, and so that's sort of, you know, that's my thing. It goes back into God's faithfulness to His people mm. throughout. Uh, all of redemptive history. So uh, I think to learn how to see and different eras of God's faithfulness and still say, that is my God being faithful to mankind Mm. in in all things from creation to salvation to, to glorification. So that's kind of, it's, it's, and then it's everything that we looked at, uh, it feels like so long ago, but it was last night, in just a simple concept of how easy it is to forget, and the simple solution being to devote ourselves to remembering the great blessings and promises and everything we have in, in, in God's benefits and in Christ and in the Spirit and all, and all that. So that's, yeah, that's kind of where it's rooted at in my heart. I don't know if, you know, Riley, what's your thoughts? Are we kind of worked on this together 
in the beginning. Yeah, things. yeah. That, what, you, what you said really had stuck with me um, ever since we talked about it is just like the, to realize that when you, when you uh, submit yourself to the, to the lordship and, and the salvation of Jesus, you are connecting your, yourself to Exodus 15 mm-hmm. and Genesis 35, right? Like those stories that occurred thousands of years ago to people removed from us in every way, we're actually unified with now yeah. because we're all under the same God who's yeah. faithful to us as he was to them. So that for me has been um, just a, uh, an eye-opening thought and every time you know I read the Old Testament now I get to consider like man like that God is my God that God remembered Moses and Abraham and Jacob and he's remembering me right now yeah and it's just a mind-boggling thought yeah so uh, that's yeah that's what's been on my heart uh, as we've we've sort of worked it out it's just been good yeah, it's cool because it normally takes like a Hebrews 11 to wake us up yeah. to smell the coffee on that, and it just shouldn't. Like, it's yeah. just what the it's what Scripture is. It's a yeah. catalog of God's faithfulness. Yeah. So, but to take that angle at it this weekend, mm-hmm. hopefully, it's been helpful for you guys. So, um, here's my question about the the topic, and then after this question, we'll open it up to the room. But, um, what are your guys' like personal go-to sort of passage? passages or passage, what's your passage, when your soul needs reminding, remembering, uh, where, where do you guys go? Like, what's your gut instinct to, I mean, obviously, just an open Bible is a good Bible, right? But, and a used one's a better one. So, but what, what's like the worn out page in your Bible when, when your soul's needing reminding? David has one. Yeah, actually, you hit it yesterday, Matt, and I mentioned it again today, but Deuteronomy 8, the heading that's in... Has it been your passage since yesterday? or No, it's <laughs> been... I'll just check. Riley was asking, actually asking me when did it become my passage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. And I couldn't remember, but maybe it was when Austin did his series on Deuteronomy. Yes. Yeah. And uh, that was a number of years ago, but it's so impactful because yeah. it's exactly what's happening here is Israel's forgotten what God has done for them. And we so often forget what God has done for us. And so yeah. that just hit me. Yeah. So I always come back to it, especially verse 11, which you hit last night. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. And um, it, it's more than just remembering, but it's more. It's also a matter of obedience to do what he has called us to do. Amen. Yeah. So it's just really, really helpful for me. I mentioned it to someone tonight. Again, just... Um, he was asking me, what, what, what verse do you go to? What's helpful? And this mm. is, this is exactly it. So remembering, putting myself in Israel's shoes, but looking at my spiritual heritage as well and remember what God has done for me. So yeah. things that I mentioned this morning. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. Uh, mine is one that most of you have probably heard. Many of you can probably, uh, say it out loud right now. Galatians 2.20. Um, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then a lot of people, I think, might think, all right, that's Galatians 2.20. But there's another part of it. And it says, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, That passage just, it, yeah, whenever I'm 
I'm needing to be spiritually nourished, I remember that my life is not my own, and it's not just not my own because somebody else owns it, but it's not my own because somebody else is living in me, is unified with my soul, and that's Jesus who, who loved me and gave himself for me. So that, that passage, yeah, has, has always stuck with me. I like it. You gotta, you gotta love like a single verse or like a single phrase kind of yeah. uh, reminder. It's so good. What about you? I think mine is uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, which is an interesting one because it's not particularly a, a catalog per se, but it helps me look up from my worries about my next thing, like my next responsibility. It's mm. a passage about the day of the Lord and there's a ton of like end instruction, but it's Paul saying, hey, you people in the congregation at Thessalonica, remind these other people that like, the Lord's coming, and they don't have to despair over the fact that there's believers that have passed, that you'll be reunited with them, and in Christ specifically. So I think that passage has always been so helpful for me, and just being able to look up, see uh, what's really important in the light of eternity, and that's the things of the Lord. So. Usually when eschatology passages are people's favorite, I get worried, but that was good. <laughs> that's true, right? <laughs> that was awesome, though. <laughs> it's true. Uh, no, that's good. Um, awesome. I, I hope that you guys all have a passage in mind as you sort of think through what's helpful to your souls. Um, and if not, choose one. <laughs> uh, hey, I want to open up for some questions. If you have a question, raise your hand and Ethan will get uh, Questions are anything, so... Uh, a question that's helpful for the room, and a question that doesn't embarrass you. That's a good one. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to relate to the topic. Let's put it that way. Okay? How can we be praying for you guys? Wow, that's a hot mic. Thanks, Brandon. That's a great first question. Wait, I didn't catch it. He said, how can we be praying for you guys? Oh. I love that. Yeah. That's sweet, man. Thank you. Just that. That. Next question. No, <laughs> like just, I'm encouraged by that. That's it. No, that's all I needed. No, that's, that's um, yeah, I love that. For us, it's, it's baby. Baby girls like coming any day. So. That's a, it's a cop-out answer. That's the easiest one. And it's, it's an honest answer. So, yeah, how about you guys? It could be any mem- moment, right? Pretty yeah, much. let's not talk about that. Yeah, yeah. all right. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're still waiting. You want to go? I mean, Mine's an easy one too. Go we're moving, it. so we're moving, moving across the world. Yeah, you're so moving for us. big time, moving. Yeah. So just for 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 patience on our end and wisdom and the decisions and uh, faithfulness and all that we do. So there's there's a lot there, but sums it up. Uh, I mean, you can pray for 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 uh, us because um, it's been a long weekend in some ways, honestly, but uh, super fun, and we're just happy to be here. But yeah, pray for. Us as we, you know, close out tonight and tomorrow morning, and uh, we're excited to be here, but but we uh, we need the Lord's help. So, yeah. <laughs> Good immediate prayer request. Yeah. Uh, another question. Ting. Okay, so the the short summary before I give the long version is basically like when does dishonesty become displeasing to God? And so the context for that is like whether we're like joking being sarcastic with people in like a friendly manner or like playing games like mafia with each other. Um, Like I found the topic of lying to be like very difficult to draw a line and say, this is where it becomes sinful. And maybe this is where it's okay because our heart intention isn't to like put other people down. 
And so I think of like commands such as, uh, you know, you know, not killing people is different from murdering someone. Um, and there's some there's a distinction between those drawn in the Bible. I also think of like Rahab who hid the spies and in doing so lied, um, but in but saved an entire nation. Um, or God himself sending like a lying spirit to deceive nations. Um, that's in First Kings. Um, so it's like, is there a way to lie or by definition be dishonest in a friendly fellowship way and still please God or honor him? So was that the summary part or the long part? No. <laughs> I was trying to figure out that distinction too. It is a good question. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Daniel. I think of yeah. I think of James uh, five twelve, above all brothers do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation, and then I for some reason have it written in my Bible and not for some reason but actually <laughs> uh, I have Matthew five thirty three to thirty seven which uh, is Jesus saying a similar thing. Uh, do not, you know, do not take an oath. And we kind of went over this last year in James, but there's this idea of what is the fundamental character of your life? Are you a truthful person who lives with a living faith that shows the truthfulness of a God that you serve? And so if you are that kind of person, dude, play mafia a lot. Like, that's fine, you know? Uh, you can, you can, you can be that guy. Uh, but there's a sense in which, like, in context of your life, uh, like, does that characterize your comings and goings in every day sort of, sort of way? So, you know, in a fellowship game kind of way, I mean, I think if we were playing that every night and developing sort of a playful distrust that co- becomes a distrust that becomes a sort of like, he's always the guy that's tricking everyone and it becomes like who you are, sure. I mean, there's maybe some danger, but I think there's a ton of freedom in that, knowing that, People like you and and a lot of um, almost everyone in our in our group is trending toward a truthfulness that reflects the truthfulness of God, and then within that sort of yeah you can play games and have fun and stuff like that. So yeah, no, that's awesome answer. I think just the character, mm-hmm. you know, overall. But I also think sometimes it's the position you're in or the role that you're playing, and so oftentimes the more that you are in leadership or people are looking towards you, I think you have to be that much more careful and that much more aware of your context. So I love going to Ephesians 4, verse 25 and, and down, but therefore having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with, with his neighbor. Um, so are you just being generally truthful in your speech? So going back to Matt's, Matt's point, what's your general character? What's your general posture? How do, how do people know you? You know, do they know you as the one who's always joking? And, um, you know, throwing lies around and can't tell if you're speaking truth. Or are you the person who's known for speaking truth? And if you go down even um, verse 29, right? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. And that is, that's so key for me because you can joke and it might be the right situation. If it says there, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so you can joke, and you might be your closer friends, but as soon as you step out into a different context where people don't know you, you're going to have to speak in a very different, potentially a different way, because that's going to be a different occasion. So it's going to depend, all that to say. But the general rule of thumb here, speak truth, right, um, and build one another up. That's good. So help a little bit? Cool. <laughs> 
Any questions? Got one over here. Hello. Hey. Um, thank you guys so much for 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 that. Hey, you appeared out of nowhere too, right? Did you get here today? He did. Sorry. Love it. Welcome. Yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> um, so this is actually something that I've been juggling with and thinking about. I don't know how applicable this is, but before getting to know God more in the Scripture, I have been under some influence of different habits. For example. At UCLA, people would say, hey, practice mindfulness, meditate, and certain habits that allow you to um, either feel better or be more in touch with spirituality. I was just wondering, what is the line in terms of things like meditation, things like even taking cold showers? There's there's a lot of things. Yeah, um, I take cold shower every day, and uh, things like just habits, spiritual habits in general. Where, where can we find verses that direct us and how to discern what habit is building us up and what is, what is to be careful for? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think things like meditation is God's. Like the world has taken that and done all sorts of weird stuff with it. You know, Buddhism has taken it and, and Hinduism has taken it and used that word to, to make it all sorts of different things, but that's God's idea. And uh, all over the Psalter, you can find examples of uh, the psalmist saying things like, uh, I dwell upon this truth. Or even uh, Matt mentioned it in his sermon, right? Lamentations 3, this I call to mind. And then he says it's good for a man to sit in silence and wait. Like that's not just like a, you know, passive doing nothing sort of sitting there. That's, that's uh, Jeremiah meditating on truth, like devoting a, a moment of time to, to discipline his mind to think about something in particular. And that's God's idea. Um, the world has r all sorts of ideas about it, but in its truest and purest sense, it's, it's God's thing. And, and when we use it to remember God, then it's... Uh, widely applicable for his glory, right? You can, you can meditate on the gospel to remind you to fight sin. You can meditate on God's faithfulness to remind you that your future is secure. You, you know, all those sorts of things. And, and I think it's a good thing when, when done, you know, when informed by, by scripture. Anything to add? I, I'd just say in a just simple way, the line is when it's not God word. As a, mm -hmm. as a, like, as a, practice in of itself or as a whole. So I think it's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It's uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So should you stop taking cold showers in principle because it's something you did before you were saved? No. But do you do that at the end thinking, praise God, the water's now off <laughs> and that he made my body the way he, he, he does to to Wim Hof myself into into discipline and waking up on time and great sure but are, are you taking those things and for self betterment or to the glory of God and I think that's the line that you need to make sure you're you're, you're taking that line to to Godwardness. Yeah. I'll just add one thing there. Uh, Philippians four 
verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, mm -hmm. whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Mm -hmm. And so coupling that with, with Matt, you know, you can take a cold shower and be dwelling upon the things of the Lord. You can go outside for a walk and do something that you've done before, be, before being a believer and turn it into something that is honorable and, and praiseworthy. Yeah, exactly. Amen. Good. Thanks, Danny. Good questions? Grant. It's efficient. Hello? Okay. Uh, Good job, yeah. Ethan. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I have a question. Uh, so our small group is going through First Peter. First Peter talks a lot about the sufferings of the Christians, and persecution. <laughs> and uh, so my question is, um, uh, one verse that really sticks out is First Peter one through six through seven that the trials refine uh, our faith. Um, so I was just asking, the question would be, uh, what trial has God put you through? Like, what, what trial has God put your faith through, and how has He refined it lately, or like ever? I mean, ever, obviously ever, but like more recently, more recently ish, like year, years. Years, maybe. Uh, one comes to mind for me. Um, I was in in college. I was I was a geoseer. Uh, that was recent, by the way. <laughs> recent. It was it relative was. to it these was. guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, what was no I? offense taken. <laughs> uh, what was I talking about? Um, oh no. What were you talking? About? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was a freshman in college and um yeah it was a it was a really tough season of life my mom uh gave me a call and they uh, my mom and dad were both on the facetime and she uh just gave me the news that they found a, a tumor in her thyroid and it was cancerous and um i mean I, I didn't know what to think like i i had just like moved away from home and and i was loving school and uh, loving GOC, and then, yeah, she dropped that news, and I was like, what is happening? And I just was, like, in shock for a little bit, um, and praise the Lord, uh, surgeries went well, she's doing well now, um, but in that moment, in those few years where things weren't sure, um, I think, honestly, one of the, the lessons I learned my whole four years of college started there, which was uh, having an eternal perspective. Like realizing that, um, yeah, this life is just so fragile and transient that it just made me think about what was next. And uh, that just, yeah, as First Peter says, it, it tested whether or not I was going to trust God. And being on this side of it, it's, it's helped me to, to have a perspective that goes beyond the short 60, 70, 80 years we have on this earth. Yeah, I think for me it was, um, we haven't had a lot of medical things in our family. I think my grandparents have had some difficult times, and we've seen those coming. Uh, for me specifically, though, I think the most stressful, strenuous time was actually right after college when I was waiting for a job. And um, it was just, I had no idea where that was going to come from. I really didn't want to move back to Sacramento where I was from. I wanted to stay here at Grace Church. And so there was just a lot of limbo that summer in trying to figure out where the Lord was going to place me. And through all of that, it's just in hindsight, right? There's so many things that you can see how the Lord worked through situations in our life, and this being one of them. And I never imagined getting the job that I did. But what got me through that, it was really you just 
exactly what we're talking about this weekend, which is why it's so helpful, is you remember the testimony and you remember what the Lord has already done in your life and you know that he's going to care mm, for you. So good. And that's just, when you think about that and you can, the older you get, benefits of being older, the more <laughs> situations you see that time and time out again. Yeah. And eventually, I'd say, you come to a point where more trials, you know they're coming, but you just take it and you know the Lord's going to be there with you through it. So um, that was probably the most difficult one for me. I forget who asked that. Yeah, Grant. And I think a lot of you guys are entering that, that stage now. It's, I have no idea where the Lord's going to place me. And I was telling someone today, that's exactly where the Lord wants you to be, actually, mm. in that situation. Reading, trust in him. Reading Providence backwards idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, it's funny when you asked that, I didn't even, it took me a while to even remember this, which is, evidence of God's goodness, but uh, maybe three or so years ago now, uh, for about a year, year and a half, uh, I was I was working at church under just kind of in one of the most crazy situations I've ever been in in my life. Uh, my boss, who just is no longer at Grace, but uh, was just a really demanding person and it brought a really unhealthy work environment, not just for me, but for other people. I think what God taught me through that, uh, which so easily could have been bitterness toward the church or toward people, he, he taught me how to look outside myself and see how to minister to others who were probably going through the same things. And I think just being able to see love for people and others in the church strengthened instead of what you would sort of otherwise expect in a situation like that was uh, something that was definitely beyond my fleshly efforts, if you could put it that way. And so much of his kindness and his sort of caring and guiding and comforting hand in that season. So um, I think since then too, in trials unrelated with friends where We've, I think, found it so much more natural to be able to come alongside people and bear their burdens because of a season like the one we went through a couple years ago. So I've uh, just been really thankful. And it's, I mean, we're not, like, perfect at that now, but it, it, is, it just it becomes more real what the scriptures say about what the one another's are about and what walking with people through things is like. And it's not having answers all the time. It's presence and looking to the scriptures for answers and asking the Lord for wisdom and all of these things that keep you on your knees. I think we want, when we hit trials, we want to think we're tested, proven, genuine, ready for eternity. But it's a, it's a lifelong endeavor of, of going through trials and being, uh, going through the, the, the forge and, and being, um, being molded by the Lord. So, Yeah. Thanks for that question, Grant. Uh, other questions? Yeah, we've got a couple over here. Maybe, who's that? Zach, what's up, man? Let's go to Zach first. I saw that hand first, that's why. John, John you're next. <laughs> okay, um, is there a right way of thinking um, when, if there is, um, how, should we 
navigate when we're called to be honoring our parents, but not being blindly obedient when it comes to like preference issues or differences? It's a good question. I heard the first part. Yeah, I lost the second. Um, how do you navigate thinking through honoring your parents, but not necessarily obeying them in preference issues? Uh, how do you, even just in this season for students, how they think about their, their folks? Uh, I think a, a huge part about honoring your parents is having like communication with them. So, um, yeah, it's not that you have to just, you know, uh, revert to third grade and, you know, go to bed on time and, you know, all, all that stuff, right? But it's it's a matter of you honoring them for who they are in your life and and opening up yourself to them, right? So tell them about your life. Tell them about everything that's happening and, and, and work it out with them person to person. Honor them by by opening that line of communication and not just, you know, saying you would rather do it this way and shutting it down or, you know, just blindly obeying either. Like, you have the opportunity to, to, to speak and communicate with them, and especially if they're believers and, and you're a believer. Uh, they are your parents, but they're also your brother and your sister, you know? So you get to uh, enjoy that kind of fellowship with them, sharpen each other in that way, and, and I think that those are all ways to... Um, take that relationship and, and honor it and not uh, neglect it. Yeah, that's really, really helpful. Um, in the communication, when you talk with them, I love what you said, listen to them and you have an opportunity to, to respond back to them. I'd be very careful too with how quick you might respond to your parents. And um, I would even advise, listen to what they say and take a day or a couple of days or maybe even a week and, and think about what they actually said and then come back to them with a thought out answer. Because if you respond really, really quickly, it shows that maybe potentially from their perspective you haven't thought about. It. Now you may have been thinking about it for weeks or months and kind of thought all the different questions that they might ask or the different answers that they might have and you already have a response to that. But to their minds, you're not listening to what they're saying. And so I always advise whether it be about dating or jobs or grad school or anything <clears throat> in, pertaining to your season of life, take what they have to say and genuinely listen to what, they, what they're saying and then respond slowly. Um, the other aspect is you are still under their household at this point, um, financially, maybe not practically. And so they do have <clears throat> that authority over your life still until you are financially out. Um, so you just have to be careful you are um, under their umbrella in many regards. Now, when it comes to spiritual matters and, and when it comes to the Bible, um, there are non-negotiables, right? But you have to ask yourself the question and get wisdom. What are really those non-negotiables? And what are even good things, spiritual things? What of those are even just preferences? And um, think hard <clears throat> upon that before you respond to them and get wisdom from people. Not much to add. I mean, I would just say the heart of all that is Titus 2. It's uh, you adorn the doctrine of God. So there should be no room ever for disagreement with your parents' preferences to the point where you're arrogant or where you're unloving or where you're 
rebellious to the Lord and then to them sort of in, in the you know, more immediate sort of sense. So, uh, yeah, just guys in your relationships with your, your parents, adorn the doctrine of God. Like, show the gospel, whether it's because they're not believers or it's because they're believers and they're just learning how to let one leave the nest for the first time. So just be gracious in that. So, good question. Thanks, Zach. Uh, let's get John up here. He's next here. Um, yeah, I was wondering, how do you guys prepare for your sermons? Like, um, do you guys turn to a lot of other, like, commentaries and sermons or um, just like each other and, and you prepare? And just like, I guess I was wondering how that can be applicable to ourselves as we, like, study the word. Like, should we, when we have a question, like, turn to what other people have to say or just, like, just try to, like, meditate on the word and such? So I was just wondering how you guys approach that. Oh, man, that's a great question. A lot of really different answers in my mind floating around. Uh, I think the most helpful things are uh, read the passage that you're studying or that you're trying to understand a ton. Like just keep reading it, keep reading it, read it in different translations. Uh, I Most normally I'm reading it ESV, NASV, LSV, NIV. Uh, like I'm, I'm reading it in, in quite a few different ones and just getting the sense um, and then I think other than that, I would say hone in on the one main truth that is in that passage. So part of that requires that you're looking at the right chunk of text or chapter or book and seeing any context. But I think it's so easy to look at, like, if, if a passage is a, is a crown, there's lots of jewels on that crown. But the, what is the crown jewel? Like, what is the main thing? And you've got to understand that first in order to understand any kind of nuance. I think so many times, you know, these guys, probably Riley mainly, like, we're in the original languages and trying to, all the nitty-gritty and laying out all the meaning of the text. And that's really awesome. You should do that stuff. But it's nothing if you're not anchoring it on the main truth of that passage. So uh, I wouldn't be ashamed at all to say I'm looking at the JMAC study Bible and the ESV study Bible and I'm like Googling what is the main like truth in you know Philippians 3 just to get a few perspectives but then I'm making up my mind about what is the author's intent what did the Holy Spirit mean through the, the human writer to convey to, to us in a timeless way so that's my thing that's kind of my like big overall but what, what other sort of like practical things would you add to that uh, what's actually really was helpful for me is just thinking about writing my sermons as a, a paper because um, when I first started out writing sermons, it was just all over the place. But I realized Paul and a lot of the epistles and, and much a lot of our Bible, it's written in a way that it's meant to be understood. I mean, it's all meant to be understood, but it's written in a way that we would write, write a paper in some sense. Mm. So if there's a thesis, what is the thesis? Yeah. What's mm. the crown jewel? And is that coming out in my sermon? And then if I'm going to have subpoints to that main point, how am I going to connect all of that together where it makes sense and it's supporting, again, the main point mm. and any other details for those subpoints, they need to point to the to that sub point. So everything just needs to point to that crown jewel. Yeah. As you would a thesis, uh, I mean a paper, right? With your thesis and your sub points. 
So if you can articulate it that, if you can diagram it that way, whatever your method is, um, it'll make sense to the people and to your, your small group leaders any any lesson that you're preparing. And that should bring help to not just preparing, but when you're listening to the sermon. I think that's it's helpful to know the first five or ten minutes with the introduction and with sort of if there's a stated thesis, sometimes there isn't, uh, you should know what this sermon is going to be about. And, um, and then to see the rest of the sermon is supporting really that main sort of idea. So, Yeah, I think the only thing I would add about like that main point, that crown jewel, like how do you get there? Uh, context. So uh, I've heard it said, you know, most important thing about buying a house, location, location, location. I don't know. I've never bought a house. Probably never will. Um, but, but, uh, same goes for when you're studying a passage. What's the most important thing in order for you to get the main point? Context, context, and context. Um, if you can understand just like why Paul, for example, is saying what he's saying, then you're going you're gonna to understand the words that he's saying. Um, and so, you know, practically sometimes that looks like just reading a, a larger chunk. So if you're studying two verses, it's helpful to read the 10 verses before and the 10 verses after. Sometimes if it's a, you know, a shorter book, you can read the whole book. Um, but it just helps to, like, get the, the, the point of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And one more thing, just to answer your question, too, more specifically. Yeah, I use other commentaries and stuff. I think Philippians I probably have on my shelf, like, 10 or 12, but I'm using three, four, five at a, on a given week. And here's, here's like my point on this. You're using other sources to figure something out specifically. You're not like reading those things, compiling all of the information and then sort of like stealing and just sort of presenting that in a compelling way. The, we're going to commentaries to figure out either a problem in the text or something we're not understanding right or more context behind a phrase or something like that. So there's always a purpose for, for going to those other sources uh, because the main thing needs to be the text of Scripture. And even as you're looking through those commentaries, you'll find differing views oh, yeah. on yep, a sure. particular stance. And so yeah. you have to figure out and determine what you think the text is actually saying. Good. Yep. Okay, one last thing. This is a dangerous question to ask us, I feel like. But one last thing would be that um, uh, the purpose is always life change. So... You always want to study either for yourself or to explain it to somebody else, not just for data transfer. Yeah. Like, it, the point is to, to change a heart, encourage somebody, help yeah. somebody. So. Yeah, there's a book by somebody else, old pastor, Mike Fabres. He wrote a book called Preaching That Changes Lives. Mm. And that book changed my life because it simplifies <laughs> the reason why we preach. Yeah. isn't to like our own voice or to be profound or to do something other than to help people realize the incredible change the gospel can bring mm -hmm. to their lives. So, Questions? Yeah, you know. Um, what is something that you see a lot of geoseers are going through now or will be de dealing with as the quarter and, and what is your biggest encouragement or hope for us? That's a great question. I think that uh, one big thing is, it's obvious, but it's uh, uncertainty in circumstances. So it's, 
looking for a job. A lot of you seniors, um, like I empathize with you because the market's not great right now, and for certain industries, it's even worse than not great. I mean, it's it's crazy. And then others of you, I think there's a sense in which you think you know what you're doing, but beyond this summer, maybe not, <laughs> right? And I think there's a sense in which, and I joke <laughs> because y'all have a plan, like it's it's all relative, right? But I, I say it that way, I say uncertainty in circumstances because the great foil to that is the utmost certainty you have in Christ. And so I think to be able to face the future with the, with the eternity future, sure. Uh, we, we talked about First Peter this morning, I think, one, right? And it, it's kept in heaven for you. Um, and uh, so I, I would say, look, three weeks out, uh, living in light of eternity doesn't mean uh, don't care about your finals. What it means is do your best to the glory of God and entrust that to him. And every step along the way, live like that as well. So, yeah, I, mean, um, I think my mind might be here because of just what I'm thinking about for tomorrow morning, but um, I, my encouragement would be to never disconnect anything about your Christian life from the person of Jesus, like the, the person, the, the man that we, we read about in scripture of Jesus. Um, I think a lot of times we can struggle with all sorts of stuff, right? Like maybe you struggle with assurance and, and you think, man, I need to like work on assurance. So I'm going to pursue assurance. I'm going to figure out how to get assurance. But assurance is found when you pursue Jesus. And I would say the same thing about fighting a sin, right? If you're struggling with a sin and you're just obsessed with killing that sin and getting away from that sin and being free from that sin and you stop pursuing Jesus so that you can go deal with that thing, then, then you're missing the whole point. Uh, it goes for career, right? It goes for faithfulness. It goes for all your responsibilities at work and with other people and relationships, dating, like all of it. If you're pursuing a, a, a thing that comes from Jesus but you're not pursuing Jesus, you're going to fall short every time. And so whatever it is that you're struggling with, there's probably a thousand things in this room. Know that the, the way to, to solve that problem or to be encouraged in that struggle or that trial is the person of Jesus and not something secondary. Uh, college life and post-college life, I would just urge you, GeoSeers, to continue to prioritize the church. And um, if Riley's saying definitely prioritizing Christ, well, prioritize his bride and that institution that he has given to us. Um, we know Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have... Where am I? Let us hold fast and keep going down. 23, let us hold fast confession of our hope without wavering for he is promised promise faithful and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet one another, meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another 
and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And that's, that's a, a warning to us. You know, if we continue to go on sinning, that's what the church is there for, to help us to stop sinning. And um, prioritize the church. I hope you guys are here right now at GOC, not because of the community, but because of the church. And as you leave GOC, make sure you're pursuing mm -hmm. not a community, because you can find that community elsewhere, but you're pursuing the church. And it's such a good, a good addendum to, to what I said, because there's no way to properly pursue Christ apart from the fellowship of the church. So, yeah, those are, yeah, totally helpful for each other. time for maybe one or two more. I had a question about something mentioned in session one. Uh, Matt, you mentioned how one of the fruits of forgetfulness is apathy. And I think with an apathy and ungratefulness for God's past blessings, I have a two-part question. What are similarities and differences between how Christians and non-Christians think about apathy? And the second part is, what are similarities and differences I saw both Christians and non-Christians think similarly and differently about pursuing remembrance. So, uh, could, I, could I ask a question to your question? Yeah. Is that okay? When you say, like, um, the difference between, like, Christians and non-Christians, like, with apathy, what, what do you mean? Like, what, what does a non-Christian, like, like what, is, what is a non-Christian's apathy? Is that what you mean? Versus or like, let's say both a Christian and a non-Christian are faced with apathy. And let's say like career, for example, like something doesn't work oh, out. I see. Oh, I got okay. it. Okay, yeah, I get you. I got it. I'm there now. I was apathetic to your question, but now I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm very for it. It's good. I so it. I, I think one of the biggest fundamental differences, sorry, were you going to say something? No, no, I just, I'm, I was I rejoicing I that I understand. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's us, not you. Um, yeah. So I, I would say the biggest difference is that uh, for the non-Christian, apathy is a lack of motivation uh, in a field or in the pursuit of, of a degree or a job. And the answer to that apathy is self-motivation. It's finding a drive, a hunger, rediscovering that uh, bettering oneself. There's a million reasons under the sun, but that are all godless. They're all for the sake of either yourself or some extension of yourself. For the Christian, the significance of anything in life is found in its creator. And so there are things that shouldn't have significance to you uh, that are of this world. It's it's. James, again, it's, it's friendship with the world is en enmity with God, right? There's a truth in that. So not all things are God-glorifying in and of themselves just because they are in the creator's world. Um, uh, the creation of this world is, is of God, but uh, the things that man has made it and, and uh, the idol factories that we are and our hearts are have twisted that creation. So when you go back to a sense of apathy, though, for the Christian— it's to examine, am I being apathetic about something that actually does, does and should matter in my life? And the assumption in your question is kind of like, yes, like, okay, I, Kyle Pack, in three years am finding 
I'm apathetic toward my career, just a tad bit, right? How do I deal with that as a Christian as opposed to what a non-Christian would do? And I would say it's found in looking to God and saying, God, you've given me this. I don't have answers in and of myself. In fact, I feel a way about this career. I'm stuck. I'm in a dead end. Help me. So while the non-Christian's response is bootstrap pulling, the Christian's response is falling to his knees. And I think that's the fundamental difference in posture and in pursuit of the bigger and better is that for the Christian, it's to the glory of God. For the non-Christian, it's to the glory of one's own self. And then, therefore, the solutions are also found differently. So that's, I don't know if I'm understanding what your question is, but that's, that's my response to that. It's a great question. Um, what you guys got? Yeah, no, I just echo it um, from in Paul's words, right? Why should you work hard? Mm. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance. You are serving the Lord Christ. So if you're like slacking off at work and you go to some career fair and they're like, how do I not be a bad worker? They're going to say like, think about upward mobility and reputation and a bigger paycheck and getting higher in the company. But if you ask Paul, he would say, know that this is a responsibility given to you from God and, and honor that. Serve the Lord, not just your earthly bosses and your earthly masters. If at points in your studies at UCLA or in your job or jobs coming up, you find yourself in a place of apathy, I would say that's like natural and normal because a lot of your existence at this point and at that point will be like sort of in or amongst, like rubbing up against like the things of the world in some ways, both in sort of a discard sort of pile way, but even just in sort of a necessary in the world but not of it kind of way for the Christian. So. I think those are natural points, not just to wallow in apathy, but natural points that are checkpoints for the Christian to say, am I really doing what God would have me do right now? And would pursuing what I'm pursuing, would pursuing that further be what is best, what's wise, what, is, what brings him glory, what uh, is good stewardship from, from what he's given me? So, great question. Maybe one more question. Let's end with a good one. Matt, you got something for us? Let's do it. Back there, way in the back. Hey, um, this is a question about prayer, uh, particularly um, kind of an everyday, kind of day-to-day prayer question on, um, I think prayer is a deeply emotional thing. Um, a lot of times, like, you know, at least for me personally, like, my, my prayers are filled with emotion and, a, and, and affection, but sometimes, like, you know, I, I feel more cold-hearted and distracted when I pray. So I, I think in those moments when, you know, I feel more cold-hearted and distracted, uh, like, how do you, you know, how do you deal with that? That's a good question. Well, one of my favorite books on prayer is, no, forgetting it, Praying Scripture through Prayer. Praying the Bible. Praying the Bible. Donald Whitney. Donald Whitney. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I would highly recommend it, and it's basically you're going to take a passage of, of the Bible. I'm going to give away five copies next week. Eight. I have, like, yes. copies of that book, so let's do it. But you just take a passage, you read it. Book. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Okay. And you just you pray through it. So, yeah, it's so good. Some genres are a little bit harder, yeah. but 
you walk through Psalm 103 and pray through. Yeah. Man, all of the things that you listed, praising the Lord, and then ask that he would give us a heart of remembering, yeah. praise him for taking our sins away, you know, from the east to the west. And it gives you words to pray, and it keeps it fresh. So you're not basically, the point of the book is, when you pray, you say the same thing over every single time. But this gives you a fresh way to approach it. Yeah, I think something he says in that book that really, like, changed my life was when you use scripture to pray, um, you are responding to God's words. So, you know, we talk about prayer like, oh, yeah, it's a conversation with God. And I think a lot of times we can get cold in our affection for it because we're like, well, I'm just saying stuff. And I'm not, like, hearing words back. Well, we have a whole Bible of words from God. And so when we use them in our prayer life, we are hearing from God, and then we're speaking back to him. And then we read the next passage, and he's speaking back to us. And then we pray again, and we're speaking back to him. And it just, it, it brings a life to that communion with God that is... Uh, just rooted and grounded in what we know to be God's word and what we know to be true. And, and it's just, yeah, it, it's, it's very, very helpful. So amen and amen to that. Yeah, half the time when uh, the three of us are praying from up front, we're praying from a passage. So uh, cheat codes reveal. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I would say this to you, Matt, and I know you and I know there's people in our ministry that are wired like you. And I'm grateful for you guys because you're, you're an example of, of uh, genuine affection for the Lord and for other people. So I appreciate that about you guys. I would say to someone like you, knowing you, uh, don't hold affections as an expectation of yourself for a measure of success on your prayer life. There should be times that you pray a one-sentence prayer and you're not sort of feeling the way that you would feel if you're praying for five minutes and you're, you're, you're pleading with the Lord for, for help in an area of your life. So I think just realizing that uh, from the very words of our Savior, like what prayer is, is, is it's, a, it's a submission to God, right? You think about the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer, and it's, you could read that really emotionally. Like you could, you could go through phrase by phrase and think like, I think the way that Jesus is saying that is like, really emotional. I, 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 it has to be. But you could also read that same prayer and think, like, as long as it's not rote, uh, as long as it's not repetitious, uh, but we're submitting ourselves to our, to our Lord, I think we're good, you know? So, so I would just encourage you in that, in that, that you, you don't hold that expectation of yourself in a way that's uh, extra biblical, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I forget where I heard it, but uh, somebody was preaching a psalm, and one of the verses in the psalm was help. <laughs> and it's Austin. Was it Austin? <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was in big church. Yeah. Yeah, I think he said, uh, yeah. <laughs> "A drowning man doesn't give an essay when he's asking yeah. for help. A drowning man says, help, and that's a God honoring, God glorifying, biblical prayer. And so, to your point, like yeah. it doesn't have to look and necessarily even feel a certain way based on where you're at and where where God has you your prayers can look different and they can be honoring to God it's awesome that's about all we have time for uh thank you man for taking some time to answer some questions thank you guys for for having questions sure.